Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode three of season two of Performing Arts. My name is, and my name you probably already know about now, but my name is Brian M. Davis. I am, of course, the host of Performing Arts. Joining me today is... Oh, hi. My name is Francis Maborong. Yeah. I'm an international artist. I'm originally from the Philippines, and I've been living here in New York City for two years now. And Brian and I have worked together uh, yeah. over about six, seven months ago. Seven, eight this, months ago, rather. It's a Christmas time in the city sketch, right? Yep. Which, feels, which feels so long ago. 2019 feels so long. <laughs> it felt like it was two, three years ago. Yeah, it feels like a, a whole decade ago. <laughs> But oh god, yeah. Yes, uh, but yeah, we both worked together in Christmas time in the city. It was a hilarious uh, Christmas. Well, I wouldn't say Christmas theme, but it was a hilarious holiday theme, mostly set after Thanksgiving, but before Christmas. So you have that sort of like uh, holiday spirit, kind of like happening in the city, and of course when it's in New York City, it's also New York City holiday spirit, so it's it's, it's a very New York City centric uh, thing because I mean, for those who doesn't know, uh, it's a sketch of New York is directed and produced and written by Joe Denazi and Darian De Maria. So I we have worked with them for a while, and the Christmas time, the Christmas sketch, uh, the Christmas sketch series rather is actually uh, an exclusive show between alumni of people who have done uh, or have done the show with uh, Joe and Darian in A Sketch of New York. So it's like, and it's a new rounds of sketch and it's hilarious. We can write our own material. Sometimes it, can, it tends to be much more absurd and weird, but it's funny. It's so hilarious. It's hilarious. So we're, it's also an opportunity for us to work with uh, different people who have done the sketch before. Like between me and Ryan, we never have worked before until a Christmas time in the city, the Christmas holiday yeah. sketch. Yeah, it's odd because the, the Christmas time in the city uh, sketch essentially is devising workshop or, or devising itself because you and a bunch of people who you don't run know and don't know really you're basically almost creating your own personal stories that sort of thing and and as actors we kind of more or less need to do that otherwise the 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 spirit of theater kind of like doesn't exactly work when all the people who you're working together aren't on the same level as you or they're not working on the same level as you. But enough of that. Uh, so, France, uh, yeah, we could talk about all, all about stuff like what we've been doing, but. Oh, yes. But, yes. That, but you know, that, that's us. You know, that, we like to toot our own horns, so, you know, every now and then. So, mm -hmm. uh, it's just called being frightful of our work. But, uh, but instead of our work, I want to talk about your work. So, <laughs> So Francis, how did you get in, uh, into the performing arts, uh, especially since you, I'm not sure how theater is or what the entertainment is in the Philippines. Like how did you get into essentially becoming an actor? Uh, and I know you're a singer, 
So how did you get into all of that? Actually, I'm a dancer first. Oh, okay. <laughs> LOL, LOL. Like, uh, I'm not, I, I'm using that term loosely. Because when we say dancer first, you are classically trained ballerina and you've been, you know all kinds of genres of dances, all types of dances. I'm just going to say, I'm using that loosely because I started my world, my journey or like how I caught the performing bug, as I would like to say first, is when I was really, really young, like five or six years old, when, because uh, back in the Philippines, in my school, we have this annual foundation week to celebrate the commemoration of the school, of its establishment and such. And what's funny is um, inter-level classes or whatever kindergarten or whatever grade you are or year level you are, uh, they always prepare a performance. So that's how I started uh, doing it. And we always have doing, we're all, we usually do big dance numbers at that time. And I remember, uh, this is way early in the nine. In this is around ninety nine or early two thousands, late two. Oh yeah, ninety nine to two thousand one. I can still clearly remember. So yeah, uh, there's this uh, in the Philippines. We're also a we have a big influence in of uh, telenovelas. Uh, it's a bit. Uh, I don't know if you if you're familiar with the name Talia Orego. No. She's a she's a big uh, Colombian uh, star, like who does a lot of telenovelas. She's done Maria del Barrio and all and all other stuff. So it was like, there's this song that became popular in one of her shows, in one of her telenovelas, like called Rosalinda. It's also named of the show. So. We literally have the choreography and the, this words are in Spanish. So, so, so like, I am so it's and we're all wearing boleros and all such. So it was uh, every year. It, it whatever is popular back then. That's the kind. That's the music that we always dance to. So it's that's how I started, but then I, I progressed into getting into music. And uh, when I was about years later, although for Filipinos, you can never be in a Filipino household or Filipino party without karaoke. Just because yeah. for a fact that karaoke was invented by the Filipinos, by Filipinos, but it was patented in Japan. That's why people, majority of the people think that karaoke originated in Japan. Hell no, people. Let me correct <laughs> you in that. Karaoke originated in the Philipp by a it was invented by a Filipino, but the patent had to be done in Japan. So that's why, for me, I wasn't really thinking about singing that much, just because it became our second nature. Because every time, almost every week, or like Saturday or Sunday afternoons, our family were like, if we don't have any school or we don't have work or we're just chilling in the house, gathering and such, we would just put on the karaoke machine and then poof, whatever comes up blow. And also it helps the fact that my uncles and my grandfather and my mother's side have also influenced us a lot. And actually my parents did because whenever we have uh, karaoke, 
they always they love they were born in the 60s. So they grew up with Beatles, Bee Gees, Stylistics, Air Supply, all those uh starting from the 60s. All of those kinds of music, it has been uh we were exposed to it. But my mom is a lover of disco. My dad is a lover of crooning ballads like Matt Monroe, Engelbert Humperdinck, Tom Jones. And all those other big guys, Sinatra even. So it was like Eric Clapton is one is one of his favorites. So those are the artists that my parents were really into and we got exposed with the kind of music. So about like ten my about ten years old when I reached my fifth grade, uh that's my brother is already sharing his interest on learning how, how to play guitar. So my mom put him on lessons and when she asked me what I want to do, I really wanted to play the violin, but it's expensive. And so it was like, okay, let's just go with the piano instead. Who knows? Maybe let's see what's going to go. But what I really wanted to do with singing further because who knows what's going to happen. Like I have a lot of interests, especially I was also into sports at that time. I was actively pursuing martial arts, taekwondo. So Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so I was I started Taekwondo third grade, and I okay. Uh, sorry to interrupt you, but uh, this actually brings me to an interesting question. Uh, I know dancing is a dancing is a physical like fitness endurance test. So doing something like martial arts uh, of some kind, how does that help you in terms of does that help your dexterity a lot more than especially as a dancer or does that more help you in terms of just being more physically fit as a dancer or is it both or is it just like something a, a little bit both but also more of another category okay here's the thing i have to set premise on this one because i was never a trained dancer i just dance like anyone does <laughs> until oh, okay. I, I until like i find my own i'm starting to get get into hip-hop pop and or starting to expose to different kinds of dances the difference on my situation is that because for martial arts i was heavily training uh, heavily doing it because i'm also a, com a competitor I'm, I'm i was a competitive martial artist for taekwondo i would say there's a big overlap because they're both very physical things but they are both different because of how the discipline is of how uh both things could overlap with regards of drills insurance uh, endurance exercises and such but i would say they still they although there are there is a big overlap there's also a big difference it's 50 50 i would say but it does help each other out but not necessarily as everyone would assume. Gotcha. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Because the way I, I saw it or was visually, you know, visualizing in my head is like, oh, you know, as a, you know, even if you aren't like a trained dancer or and you just have like a dancing background and you just do dancing for fun or something like that, you still need to do like some sort of like exercises, that sort of thing. It's like you still need to essentially exercise and. For some reason, I, I know a lot of people who are martial artists, they tend to have like almost a dancing background or something to that fact where because, you know, or even like a ballerina background because the way people are able to kick their high legs, that sort of thing. So 
and again, I'm not really a dancer, so I don't know all this type of like dance like terminology. But so, yeah, when I heard, uh, you know, the most the martial arts, it kind of like got into the uh, the notion of okay, maybe more. It's like it's not like two two. You know, these two things aren't like together personally, but they're kind of like almost uh, inter interlinked almost between the whole hey martial arts and dancing they might be not related but they're all but they're all related in terms of just how to carry your body that's right. i would say it it depends on the discipline because when people say martial arts it's just a it's a terminology it's a generalization yeah uh i always say okay you do martial arts but what type because i got trained in taekwondo i was my primary training my primary background in martial arts is taekwondo but people forget there are a lot of different kinds of disciplines of martial arts. We have yeah. Taekwondo, we have Aikido, we have Karate, we have Karate Do, we have Jinkut, uh, uh, Jinkut, eh? Kundo, we have Kendo, we have uh, we have a lot. Kimbo is like a, a, I, I, uh, like a Kimbo, which was I think like it's a, I think wielding like two. Sticks at the same time, or just willing? Like, the sticks is different though, because sticks oh, okay. is a different martial arts. It's from the, the sticks is from the Philippines. It's called our knees, or what they what everyone is calling in the Western world is Kali. So it's a diff. It, it's uh, it's a different. That's why I have when they say martial arts, you ha I'd rather be specific to it because although both disciplines, both things, martial arts and dance have overlaps and the big overlap with that like as i was saying earlier is the conditioning the training and uh on not only how you execute your body because dance has a lot of forms martial yeah. arts has a lot of forms so sometimes for us because a lot of my friends who are in also doing martial arts because we're so mobile Dancing is becoming like a secondary thing to us, and we have we can pick up things that can be used. But if you're training for, if you're actually doing diving into the discipline, they're far different from each other. Now, uh, I know as an actor, especially you having uh, like uh, again like a martial arts background, depending on the, like. Taekwondo, that sort of thing. Have you actually been on like a fight call for a play where it's like, hey, we have a fight, you know, we have a fight in the play. Uh, and I know you and another, uh, another co-star of ours back in Christmas time, Mr. Franco, you and uh, him had essentially a quote-unquote like fight call on stage because that was a whole stick on stage. Like a, like, fight scene, a fight scene, yeah. yeah. A fight scene on the on the stage but it was a mock fight scene so it was like very bad fight scene but i know as a person who has essentially a background in uh uh in a particular form of martial arts have you been on like productions where it's like oh we have a fight ball and it's like does like the the person and i'm not sure if this is like as an actor you kind of like just say okay as an actor i'm this guy do what I need to do, but if someone decides to do a fight call and they're kind of like doing it wrong, uh, do I need to step in and say, hey, no, 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 this is actually how you do it? Actually, uh, it's, it's going to be a long conversation about talking about martial arts and fight call. 
For, okay. uh, to answer your, for the first part of your question, yes, I had done a FICO. I have worked with Joe prior to yeah. doing Sketch, and that's normally uh, people, Joe and Darian have worked when they work with someone from Sketch there, if they find them really useful for fair, Renaissance Fair, they would refer someone from or recommend the, Renaissance, uh, the actor from the Sketch of New to audition for the Renaissance Fair like what happened to Franco. But for yeah. me, it's the opposite. I did the Renaissance Fair first before the Sketch of New York. So for me, it, and it's funny, it, it is my first professional audition since, because at the time I was still at AMDA in the conservatory program and I went there for musical theater. It was my very first professional audition. And then uh, it was my first booking, Renaissance Fair. Really? I, yeah, I, when I did... Yeah, I was like, it really happens. Uh, what happened was I went there for the open call because I don't know what Renaissance Fair is. I'm, I'm from the Philippines. We don't observe yeah. that. And then, um, so, the, okay, they asked us to sing a 16 bars a cappella of whatever song and deliver a monologue. So it's very vague as it is. So for me personally, because because Amsel at the conservatory, the training and the influence by the teacher said, okay, you have to know what kind of show is this. This is the Renaissance Fair. So at the time of my end, okay, what should I do? What should I prepare? And funny enough, I almost missed my appointment. That audition. <laughs> yes. So, because I forgot because, oh shit, I have like that morning because it was the end of my last, my third semester. I have two week break before my last academic semester and before I graduate, and for AMDA situation, the last, for, for the conservatory program, the last semester, the fourth semester, is always the professional semester. As what I would like. Oh, okay. We're in, all of the classes are in the evenings. And we have, for musical theater, we have two show, actually all three programs have two showcases. But Ooh, for, okay. yeah, for the musical theater, we have one drama showcase and one musical. But I was lucky for my end because I have my classes first and then drama showcase and then musical showcase. And then all of the classes and rehearsals are moved in the evening. So on the day, your job is to go to auditions, to go to open calls and different auditions and such that. And because for me, I have two weeks and I'm an international, there's no sense for me to go back home for two yeah. weeks. Flights are expensive. So I stayed in my dorm and as soon as third semester ends everyone already left back to their place to their hometowns wherever whatever state they are from or whatever city they are from i stayed there and it's my very first audition i was like as soon as the third semester ends the next day i was already auditioning i was hitting the ground running yeah so it um rent fair was my first audition so i was like okay i'm not gonna expect anything it i, I feel so awkward so insecure so conscious it was very very my first professional edition and I was like so scared because I was like I don't want to fuck it up oh I'm sorry I know this is I can curse okay I can curse yeah okay so yeah, I don't want to like fuck it up an edition like you you would whenever it's your first I don't know if you remember your first very first edition you would like you have that kind of anxiety oh yeah consciousness yeah right so it's like that was me so I was like okay I'll just do my Shakespeare monologue just because it's a renaissance so it's uh, it's just apt. And then I went for yeah. a classical song. So I was like, I sang uh, uh, Down by the Sally Gardens, which is a very, very old traditional folk song. 
Down by the Sally Gardens, my love and I. So I literally botched everything. As every first audition, you would fail. But to my surprise, like in that audition, because there's a lot of people, it's an open call. And I was like, okay, I'll just wing it and do whatever. And as I was about to leave, they were asking about my training and my dance experiences because they were also considering me for something else because they're trying to fill different roles and different characters at the Renaissance Fair. And then they asked me to come back the next day for a fight call. Now, here's the difference, though. Although I, I never had a formal stage combat training. Yeah. And this is the discussion that I'm going to go back to like, on your question earlier about stage combat and martial arts. Yeah. Uh, okay, I did this a callback for... I, I did the stage combat and I did a, a bunch of callbacks that day for the Renaissance Fair. So it went well, I guess. But the difference is when I actually already got cast and I was already rehearsing for the Renaissance Fair. The difference is because, uh, and this has been a discussion between me and Joe, Joe Denazi, our director, and our uh, and different fighters that has been doing stage combat as a career. Martial martial arts is very different than stage yeah. combat because they although. There's a lot of references in stage combat uh, to martial arts and different fighting styles. I must have to say the one thing that I have to unlearn with especially coming of course because my own experience and my reference is martial arts because I've spent a lot a whole like a long time in there. I trained competitively competitively and I was almost uh, I was already like in the national team back in the Philippines like junior national team rather. So I was like you know what I'm saying? Like it's a, uh, it's a very different. I had to unlearn all yeah. my martial arts background because even though the moves are the same, the techniques are the same. It's, it's more. It's almost more flashier. No, not it's not flashier. I would always say the only the first thing that I have to really understand about stage combat is safety. Yes. Because as martial artists, when we say we fight. Especially in us for Taekwondo, we spar. We have to hit, no matter what it costs. You have yes. to have a solid hit, like a big hit, like direct contact hit. So I have to unlearn those and the idea of like, how are we going to make it real? It's not real fighting, duh. So yeah. the context for me is, it's a big adjustment for me. You can also ask Joe about it because I have to unlearn things in a way it's gonna make sense as a performer and I and when that when that made sense when that made sense to me and I had a really good grasp and understanding of that first thing that I have to learn about stage combat about safety is I was able to address it in a different manner that made sense to me because Joey is a fight choreographer and yeah. in my end Choreography means dance, movement, right? Dance, so yes. I always treat a fight choreography as a dance. So that's how I would treat it. Even though it's fights, even though the moves are like you're actually fighting, whether with weapons or unarmed, I always treat it as a dance. Just because yeah. of the sequences and how you execute it, I always treat it on that kind of logic. 
because if I put my martial arts hat on it, I'm going to endanger the one oh, I'm... Yeah, because yeah, I'm going to give him a black eye. I'm going to give him a broken jaw. I'm going to give him bruises. So I was like, yeah, because, no. Yeah, well, uh, again, uh, I know it's like that, that's always two different things, especially, especially if you have like a background in fighting. So, and it's odd because fight calls on stage or rather, you know, fake fights on stage. I've seen one that was like pretty realistic uh, a couple semesters ago at my uh, college. Uh, my college theater department put on a production of Sweat. And in Sweat, there is a nasty fight set inside a bar and a couple of characters are drunk you know, someone gets hit in a bo- with a fit. Uh, you know, a ball is smashed across the head. You know, someone uh, you know carries a bat on stage. That sort of thing. And from the audience member perspective, it looks so real. But when you talk to the person afterwards, like, oh yeah, we you know we just like uh, choreographed it a few times, well not a few times, but we choreographed it like over and over again until it felt like very fluid. That sort of thing. But when you look at to when you look on a because it's odd because when you look on stage and see a fight on stage, it looks so, you know, it looks both fluid but also real enough. But, you know, behind the scenes, this is like, okay, this is well choreographed. This is like so choreographed. It's like, this is my eighth time singing today. It is like so choreographed. You know, it's like, it, you kind of get like, you just kind of like get used to seeing like the seeing that fight on stage. But as an audience member, Again, it always looks so real because you don't know where the the choreograph starts to come in and where the like the fight choreographing starts to come in because it kind of like blurs the lines between how to actually choreograph it on the stage. So yeah, uh, I think I think it's also the job of the actor to make it real. It's yeah. the job of the choreographer to make it uh, sensible and to make the fight look. Uh, to actually design and choreograph the fight, but it's the job of the actors to break the fourth wall, to break the barrier, and make them believe that this is, and to actually allow these uh, audience members to know, to see that, okay, this is an act of violence, that this is actually a fight, not just an implied fight, that how are we going to make it real? That's why, and also I think this, I for those people, my people, some people of your viewers might correct me on this, and I would encourage you to correct if I say something wrong. I think it's also important for a fight director and an intimacy, yeah, intimacy director or coach to actually work hand in hand, whether or not it is violence or stage fight. Just because, yeah. just because of not only it would show and it would uh, further highlight the effectivity of this exact choreography or this exact moment in the show, it would also protect the actors right now because people forget that uh, fight scenes are not just fight scenes. There are also intimate moments that they have to carefully look in order to for everyone to make it to create a safe environment, even though we're predict we're projecting violence, right? And and I've made this uh I've had a conversation about this 
uh, a lot of about martial arts and stage combat with someone that I have worked with in the Renaissance Fair, who is also our uh, uh, our sergeant at arms, as we like to call him, and he's also a big fight guy, and he is also into stage combat, and he's also a member of SAFD, which is like an association of fight directors, and um. Uh, in high in dovetailing on what's happening about uh, the BLM and also what's happening in the industry start since COVID, there's a lot of different kinds of talks happened, especially the height of the Black Lives Matter happening of like a few months ago, and it is still happening, guys. So yeah. just a reminder: Black Lives still matters, and it's still happening. Um, we just. A uh, quick side note, though, we just had a small march just like down the block, like almost like what, two hours ago or so. Oh, yeah. I saw one again in Harlem as well earlier on my way oh. back here. So, yeah. So, yeah. It, you know, even even though it's like past July 4th and the fireworks have thankfully stopped. Oh, God, yes. Yes. Uh, that was another thing. Was like in my last recording of my show, there was like fireworks that were just popping off. So that's probably the reason why I took like a little break from like recording this show because during a time, a summertime like this, so much fireworks that were going off. And so it was kind of like- There was even a, mo a time I remember, like before 4th of July, like at 5 a.m. I'm hearing rounds of fireworks and that I, I woke up out of the blue because I seriously thought it was there were gunshots. Yeah, it, it gets to a point where it's like you just don't know if it is fireworks or actual guns. Yeah, essentially. Uh, so yeah, yeah, going going back going going back to your original thing. Uh, yeah. So in height of that, uh, because if you're gonna say Renaissance, right? Uh, it's very a white based show, right? And yes. uh, there's not much representation with regards of people of color. And now there's a new term that has been coined, which is the BIPOC, the Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, to make it more of a collective and more inclusive. Uh, I remember there was his post of his, because as a stage director and as an actor himself, uh, he was able to, he was talking about some stuff on referencing on how are we going about the fight community, stage fight community, or stage combat community, about the discussions going around uh, referencing different, uh, whitewashing a lot of re references with regards of fighting styles. And he also kind of enumerated a lot of stuff. And I, he also mentioned about martial arts. And basically, he was just going on about how America is, Americans are whitewashing everything. And I went off out of the blue because the the term the word martial arts kicked me off. Here's why. Um, I went to because I miss martial arts. I haven't done yeah. it in a while. So I went to like I, I went to search for a training center or a club, a taekwondo club or a training center or, or everyone calls it here dojo. Sorry yeah. guys, dojo is a very specific term. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Correct. I'm just saying you right now. If you're gonna call out me, call me out right now. Uh, oh yeah, I, I'm not gonna hold back. So, and uh, one of his friends commented, "So wait, that's not fair. You're calling out martial arts and all that, blah 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 blah." Basically, I said that how white 
how the Westerners in general are bastardizing martial arts. Because when I trained back in Asia and the Philippines, the kind of I, I have I have a strong grasp. I'm used to a certain type of uh, module or mode of training. But when I went here, I when I went to that when the training center that I found, I went in with an open mind just because I haven't done it in a while. And Taekwondo is always progressing. It's one of the most progressive uh, martial arts that also changes in time. I went into I before I went to the training. I opened myself. I had to. I always reminded myself. Okay, keep an open mind. I haven't done this in more than a decade. And also, there's a lot of changes happening in the sport. Lo and behold, when I got there, I was so disappointed and I was so shocked because the way it was being uh, taught here in the Western world, America and the West in general, it's so different. It, it felt it felt like I felt like I was so like I was so disappointed because when people treat people say martial arts here. It's the, the way they teach it, they are bastardizing it by uh, and then clouding it in an idea of using as self defense. Well, yes, it is self defense, but you're justifying violence, you're justifying usage of learning martial arts for violence. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, whether you it is provoked or unprovoked. And in my end, as an Asian man coming and growing up most of my life in Asia and having uh, a deep martial arts background. For us, martial arts is sacred, whatever discipline it is, because martial arts is a way of life for us. It, it may be as cliche as it is, but it, it, what I hate about the Western world is how they romanticize martial arts and fights. And Joe, my friend, actually, no, not yeah, not Joe, but my friend, our common friend from the Renaissance Fair, he uh, he uh, he backed me up by saying that no, what he is saying is valid because we came across together both theatrically and we shared the same background and talked about martial arts. And funny enough, because in Renaissance Fair, as if my character is a Filipino, I was able to originate and develop a character as a Filipino. And Which is always good to actually originate a character as opposed to just being like, hey, you're just going to play a bard. I was like, okay. Oh, yes. Like, yes. I love creating a character, but a bonus layer to that that I didn't expect is I was able to portray my own heritage, ah, my yes. own culture. And funny enough, with this entire representation discussion about people of VIPOCs, there's also a big, it, it also sparked a movement about the theater industry, the theater world, the entertainment and actors world about how are we going to further make it more inclusive? How are we going to make it better? And there is a discussion about looking back at an entire cast affair, it's majority white, like I'm going to say about 90% or more. And there's only a very handful of people of color who are in the cast. And then uh, when that discussion sparked up, I was, like, I was in the cusp of thinking, okay, how am I going to position myself? And I was like, oh, Hold up, wait. I was the only person in the entire cast who was able to not only create uh, a, and originate a character, but also I was the only person in the entire Renaissance Fair of New, entire New York Renaissance Fair who was able to 
portray and represent his own culture and his own identity as a Filipino. And I was like, yeah, and, and I was like, and there's a lot of discussion about my BIPOC friends as well. Like during last season, because we canceled this year, last yeah. season towards the end of it, it was like, hey, I want you know what you all because of you creating your character that you you did. It inspired me to actually make a new character that would reflect my own heritage, my own culture, and my own identity. I was like, "That's awesome! Do it, man! Do it! I'm all for it! I back you up! Do it! Whatever!" And then, when I had the conversation with a friend of mine who's a big, who is a fighter, he also echoed the sentiment that, "Yeah, bastard! Uh, the Westerners and Americans themselves have bastardized." martial arts and since we're talking about fights a lot of the fighting styles have referen have been referencing different disciplines in martial arts yeah and how it is being bastardized and he's his concern is that uh how do you think that the fight industry or the fight community is can be able to be more respectful and or the entire fight because it's not as it's a very small community and how do you think that it further amplifies and respects uh, the references from other cultures? Because to be honest, there's only one English Western style, as I was told, and only one that's being used in one weapon. And everyone has been referencing and coining different styles coming from different parts of the world, and primarily in Asia. And uh, in my end, we had a discussion about for now, because I'm not inside the community of the fight, uh, the fight directors, or I'm not in the, I'm not inside inside or of the community, or I'm not in the community of the fight directors or fight uh, stage acting or fighters, as I would say. All I can say is coming from my background as a martial artist is there is no problem in borrowing and coining different fighting styles from different martial arts different forms of martial arts and different kinds as long as it justifies the the movement because move, we cannot just label a movement and coin them oh that's a very asian movement because you movement it that's the universality of it and i, I understand that but if we're it's it would always reflect on the intention and i'd rather have a respect for me as a person who has been in a different field before acting, I was a diplomacy and a concert in diplomatic affairs major. I, I know it's a long discussion. It's a diff that is a different discussion before I became an, a an actual actor here in the U.S. Uh, which, I, which I will get back to because, you know... Pin it this, down and then we'll talk about it later, yes. Yeah, it, it, because I know this whole discussion about martial arts, you know, it, it kind of like lost its traction. I'm not sure... Uh, this may be fully unedited, but... Uh, <laughs> Because what you did have said uh, actually brings a lot of interesting points is that people who do fight calls on stage, that sort of thing, it does take a lot of dedication, especially if you are someone who has like fighting backgrounds such as yourself. So because if you don't want to blend those two styles together, you have to remember as an actor, you have to fight as an actor. So you have to really play fight. And I remember having a fight, uh, uh, not fight call, uh, Did you take uh, one of Joe's uh, fight no, classes? No, no, no. no. Uh, years ago, in my old, one of my old community colleges, 
one of my acting classes actually had a stage combat class for like maybe one of the classes. So I learned how to essentially fake punching on stage of like, oh, you know, you go like this and then you slap your thigh as to make uh, it sound like, yeah. to make it sound like you, uh, you know, you punch someone or just like. A nap, yeah. Right. To, but always do it to make it look like you're not hitting yourself like on purpose. You always gotta do a very sly, almost like, you know, it's like almost like no one notices that. And to me, fight choreographically on stage has always been an interesting thing. And I and I, I probably should get Joe on the show, but I'm it, pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, Joe is the best person to talk that, that you can easily reach just because he's in yeah. our circle. And yeah. because he's but, also a stage fight there, direct, uh, fight director, He's done. Be uh, he choreographed the stage fight in Be More Chill, and yeah. also he uh, the girl in the northern country that it closed before it even opened just because of COVID. Yeah, he's the best person to talk to about that. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, so uh, I'm sorry, but we have to. We're running out of time. Moving. I, yeah. Yeah. Moving on from martial arts. I know that was a long. Uh, it is, like, it is, just because it's uh, it's quite a sensitive thing as well right now because there, even though with the spark of the what I was saying earlier in the, but you did bring up some good value points over uh, uh, over your discussion, especially about uh, uh, B I P O C casting. Yes, or, I know I'm probably mispronouncing the black, the indigenous, and people of color. Yeah, uh, that's now a more inclusive term that's being widely used. Uh, I know for uh, for the most part, my college actually was trying to uh, the theater department. Was, uh, according to a lot of the stuff with my theater department friends, they said that the the they weren't really hiring essentially people of color, you know, directors, that sort of thing. So they were mostly just sticking towards like white directors, that sort of thing. Mostly toward, and and mostly hire, and when they had to hire outside, it didn't really hire outside in terms of, you know. Actually, uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, dovetail you on that one because you're, that's, is in, uh, it gives, uh, it gives a good depth because your educational background in theater and performing arts is from a community college and i was reading one i was watching one of your interviews talking about the difference between coming from a public university com yeah. compared to the a private institution i'm yeah. gonna say and, though and i was like, actually gonna ask you about uh, uh oh how you pronounce it uh, and um your uh american the musical and dramatic academy yeah, because I know one of my friends actually, uh, he, uh, he, I think that's how I pronounce his name. He's actually over in London in the the, the London branch. So I'm pretty sure that's like the main branch. I'm not really sure though. So the American Musical and Dramatic Academy has two campuses, two locations, New York and LA. Maybe you're talking about the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts that is only in London. It might be, but I'm pretty, I remember him mentioning that in terms of like it, it may be a, a different. It uh, might be. It might but be anyway. Well, yeah. Back to your. Discussion. I, was, I was saying is that because you're dubbed, it, you just mentioned you just said about uh, hiring black, indigenous, and people of color into the faculty, administrative yeah. staff. 
and that is also becoming a call right now into the creative team on Broadway or any entertainment field. We need people of color who are producers. We need people of color directors. We need people of color theater owners and such. And for academic, you know what? I'm just going to share this out right here just because it happened very recently as well in AMDA. There's a big discussion on diversity and inclusion that they also had to revamp and and hire someone and talk about in diversity and to actually just focus on addressing diversity and inclusion in our educational institution. Uh, there are also calls that, yeah, we never had a people of color as a faculty member or as a, even a classical voice teacher. We never had a black, although there is, but there's only one. And it wow. didn't even... There's only, I know there's, when I was still at M, there's only one black classical voice teacher. And there was only one dance, black one, uh, a person, a black dan ballet teacher. And that ballet teacher didn't even last for uh, the entire school year. He only, he taught for one year because how toxic it is for you as a, as a quote unquote oddball being yeah. in, uh, in a community of, that is so different from you. And I can relate to that, not only because I'm a person of color, but because I'm a foreigner. And when I went to M, it was, I'm not only insecure because in my class, I'm the only international student in my group. And another point is that I am, when I went to the conservatory, I was 24 years old and majority of them just got out of high school. So yeah. on that point alone, on that basic level of being the oddball, I understand and, and that's looking, not a discussion for us. Uh, and that's not a discussion for another time, which is essentially uh, age. It is like the younger crowd versus the more older, I, I don't want to say experienced type of actor, but like the more person who has been acting for at least several years, as opposed to, you know, the, hey, I'm fresh out of high school, that's what I mean. But yeah, continue about uh, a sense of staff. goes about representation because... You, talk, you mentioned that they're not hiring people of color as a faculty. I was like, why the fuck not? Right? Yeah. I mean, as much as the arts is it is inclusive as it is, the upper the upper thing, the upper management, the creative team, the producers, and the entire thing are still not as inclusive as everyone thinks. Yeah, and the, is... the long discussion of like every theater, original theater, let's say, who have to have who only uses one, who only puts a one show out of their roster for the entire season. For example, we have Cinderella, Rodgers and Hammerstein. We have, uh, we have very the classics of uh, West Side Story. And we have uh, a lot more shows that are predominantly white. And there's only yeah. one show about person of color, which is, that's not an excuse for you to make, to call yourself diverse. Then why are yeah. or are you not even considering your people of color, that your talents and your roster of talents into your predominantly white show? Which is odd because the, the way you just described, you know, it, it, it's odd because my job was working at Today Ticks, and, and unfortunately, Today Ticks was unfortunately closed because of COVID. Yeah. And one of the shows that I loved doing was Frozen. And Frozen is a primarily white cast, uh, 
but I know over the past couple of years they've been adding more people of color, and I know there's like this. There's only one person. And, there's the the guy. The guy who played Christoph is originally played a black guy, and everyone was so up for it because, apart from him, the every the every people of color in the cast are in the ensemble. Yeah, but which is which is odd because before COVID struck Broadway, well, before as it was striking Broadway. The Frozen production actually had its first biracial uh, uh, Elsa. Elsa, and I and I think that Prince Hans, or maybe it was Christopher. I'm not sure. Maybe it may be Christopher, but one the guy main, playing Chris Hans when Renee came in when the change of cast. Yeah, this is the first change of cast, right? Renee yeah. was uh, uh, not the traditional white person. Yeah, and she's not white at all. She no. was the, she's Queen Elsa, and then Hans is uh, he, oh Ryan McCartan, who was in who was previously Fierro, oh, really? in the Wicked. Yeah, and and, and again, that that's another uh, classic. I don't want to say classical uh, production that has a person of color. Uh, and out of out of Disney, out of all Disney productions, I would say, I've never. Let's say I'm just gonna. I'm not, let's not go to the princesses. Yeah, but I, I, but, but I do I mean, find it. Sorry, I do find yeah. it interesting then how essentially how they just started to do a personal color cast, and then when COVID hit, oh, every all the Berwick shows closed, and then just as it seemed to be going a little better. I was like, oh, Broadway, I mean, not Broadway, uh, Disney decides to close Frozen. I'm like, you just, I, you just had a new cast and you decided to close Frozen. I wouldn't, I wouldn't I, actually uh, correlate that to because of uh, the change of cast or yeah. because of the change of the traditional casting. Because it, all, it always happens on Broadway that whenever you, yeah. uh, a new round, a new set of cast comes in, for a long show, there will always be a dip. But the yeah. problem is on Frozen, it's not as big of a selling hit like they expected compared yeah. to what they had with Lion King and Aladdin. Aladdin and uh, Beauty and the Beast, which is now returning to Broadway probably by next year. Uh, who knows? Because yeah. as far as I can remember, uh, what's this? Uh, regional theater in Jersey that they always uh, that's a big regional theater in Jersey uh, they're the ones initiating the revival yeah. oh, okay. I, I know what you talked about but I forgot the name of the thing but yeah because uh, they're also the one who made Newsies into a musical and then Disney picked it up yeah so, yeah, so that's the yeah. problem right now as well even though as much as fictional as it is the people in the higher ups or the or the ones in power are predominantly white still. And I've talked to one of my previous guests, guests and she, uh, her and I had a great discussion about the business side of acting, or rather the business side in general. And and again, I would like to bring this up again. There should be classes in college or just classes in general that actually do teach you about the business side of theater instead of because I've had. I've had theater management. I've had, I, and the theater management really doesn't really show you the business side as much as it could. 
It's only and, on the technical. Yeah. yeah, only on the technical side. And there was also stage management, but that's a different, that's like a different class altogether. But the, the entertainment it, business course is never present. Yeah, it's like you, you. And I know one school who actually has it's uh it's a specific program, and it's on floor it's in Florida it's in Full Sail University they offer entertainment business, and I was looking into that as well. I was like, why is it that we have to make a separate curriculum for entertainment business alone? Why don't we integrate it to every theater program or every acting program there is? or any liberal arts program, right? Because that's what every actor has to know. The skills can be home, but they also need to know the, the entertainment, the business side of it, and presenting themselves as a business entity. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I feel like this whole discussion that we've had has essentially derailed into chaos, but I'm loving it. But... But yeah, but what we well, like Joe said, the absurd, the absurdity, the more absurd it is, the better. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Joe, if you're watching. Yeah, he's probably like, ah, good. Sorry, no, there's some. It's like it's good to it's like you're like ah, it's good to have people who who uh, respect me and whatnot. Joe, oh, have yeah. you seen this? I love you, man. Uh, we love you, Joe. We missed you. By the we, way, Joe is just ten blocks away from my place. Oh wow. <laughs> uh. Yeah, if he if he comes up walking to your house, I'm sorry, man. Uh, he hasn't left his place since COVID. Yeah, that's another thing. It's like a lot of this, a lot. I remember actually seeing one of my acting friends. He actually posted a like a like a bar thing, uh, not like a bar thing, but like a stat thing of like how many people have like how many people have left New York since COVID. How many people have been uh, who are actors? That's what. And he went like, oh, it's like on this. Graph is just like a thirty-five percent of actors have left New York. I know what you're saying. I saw. Yeah. I just recently saw that being shared. It's going around. Like the statistics yeah. of people in the arts or theater industry, where they and are like, now. Yeah. And the and the actual number is like sixty-five percent or something like that. It, and it's and it's very astounding because, you know, you have actors who essentially left New York, especially Broadway actors who left. You know, uh, the guy, uh, the guy who. Uh, who was on Broadway doing Mrs. Delphire, he like literally left New York and went straight back to his home uh, home state or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because he knew it was like once that COVID thing was going to hit, shit was going to hit the fan. And it was like the moment. I mean, also the, the, the Girls of Six, the musical, like literally it was their preview night when yeah. the effectivity, uh, no, it was their opening night oh, when, wow. uh, yeah. They were already there. That uh, I remember. It's like the mid March. It was their opening night when the night before Cuomo is uh, announced has announced that okay, starting tomorrow everything's closed. Like uh, before, they said only at least a hundred. It's only they're only capping a hundred people inside an enclosed space, right? Yeah. Then a few days later, they put it down to fifty, and then down to ten. The day of defectivity is supposed to be the opening night of six. Yeah. And the girl who plays Anne Boleyn, she's a Filipina Canadian. Like literally, oh, she they were all devastated, and she had to fly back to Canada. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of, it, it's very sad that a lot of these actors who, and especially since 
my college, uh, I was graduating with uh, people who were ready to graduate out of college and start going into this field head on. And now we can't really do anything because not only is Broadway uh, essentially shut down until the end of the year, or maybe even the entire, more. The entire entertainment industry is. Yeah, yeah, the entire entertainment industry is practically on lockdown, and people who are able to do this sort of stuff now is like film production. Not only that, because. And also, uh, you know, yeah, I'm going to dovetail you, know, you like, about international students. I'm oh. going to dovetail you about international yeah, go students. Go ahead. Go ahead. I I got, it's a big that, thing. Yeah. Especially just, recently. Yeah, especially recently. I gradu- I mean, I'm lucky because I never have to face that, but it still affects me because I graduated from the conservatory end of September. And then I got my OPT, which is the uh, optional practical training. Or some fields would say CPT, career practical training, or whatever it is we can stand. But we everyone knows it as an OPT. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's our one year privilege for us to actually work in the field of study, to further allow ourselves have a work experience in the industry, or whatever field that we decided to. And it affected us a lot because some of my friends have to leave the country because. One, we cannot get any stimulus. Yeah. One of the big rules for us is that we cannot get any federally funded aid. So stimulus is a no-go for us, one. Two, uh, a lot of us are only getting by on our own. And a lot of jobs have been furloughed and has been canceled. And a lot of projects has been canceled. So we don't know what to do. A lot of my interna- fellow internationals have went home in their respective countries. I think that, okay, they're planning to come back maybe by July or June because initially June, uh, Broadway is dying June to to open in June. But now they can no longer come back because of how uh, everything is happening. And then another issue is that since the current enrolled international students are affected uh, uh, since COVID started because the ones who are about to graduate who are expecting their graduation over the end of spring or early summer yeah are deeply affected because initially affected one because once uh we can only apply for opt before at the start of our usually at the start of our uh last semester because it would take at least 90 working days for us to actually get our opt to get approved to get our cases approved rather and uh a lot of the classes and a lot of the graduating class have moved their showcases online. And a lot of them had to, cannot even submit their paperwork because offices are closed. And they're all worried, oh, where are they? So do we have, how, can, how, how is it going to happen? Because once you graduate, you have a 60-day a grace period to stay in the country if you're wait, so for you to wait for the arrival of your OPT or whatever status change you may have. And that goes for any status change, by the way, guys, just to educate you, just to give you guys know. And it affected a lot because it set precedence to a lot of, to even the classes happening in the summer, wherein, especially for international students, like the recent mandate about uh, ICE uh, kick, deporting all international students if they don't have physic, they don't have an actual class inside the school. Yeah. If they're all of their classes are only online school, which is absurd because 
we are all required to take to be here in America to get our student visa if we have a minimum of 12 unit credentials enrolled in. And this is what I've been ranting about for the past few weeks since that entire issue came up is that how can you, how is it going to affect the one studying in the arts industry or studying in the arts yeah. field or humanities? Because especially in performing arts or visual arts, we're in, it's not unit based. It's hourly based. Yeah. So how does that apply to them? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because... Because not every, not every educational program is complying with the unit-based grading system. It, it, it's odd because it, at my college, or well, in my community colleges too, it is hourly based where it's like, okay, we have uh, an hour and 15 minutes for this random class and we do it twice a week compared to say, oh, you know, you have like an eight hour, not eight hours, it's like a six hour like acting class that's like essentially once a week or something like that, as opposed to saying it's the same class in a, a CUNY, uh, the best way I could do it is that a CUNY acting class could be essentially like, okay, we could have like a two and a half hour class once a week, or you could have a hour and 15 minute class twice a week. So, and I was in college, and that's in college, and both of my colleges too, so. But once I got into like the more four year college from a bachelor's thing, I noticed that there's, there was a lot more acting classes that were essentially like, oh, two and a half hours almost, like close to three hours, as opposed to just like only meeting out like maybe once a week. And most of the classes ended up like being close to three hours. And sometimes yes. even more, even more than three hours, as opposed to community colleges where they kind of like have two, you know, if you're having like, say, acting 101, you could have like to say, oh, we're going to do it like once a week, you know, for two, almost like two and a half hours or yeah, close to two and a half hours, as opposed to saying twice a week for an hour and 15 minutes. So, yeah, in the college based thing, especially in the city university of New York, you know, CUNY. <clears throat> the ideology of taking, uh, and I could have probably have a, like a long discussion of how weird it is in terms of just being a theater student, sort of like how you were talking about how being like the oddball into, because when I, because I originally went to community college first off, but I had to stop going because of some personal problems, right? And once those problems were gone, I went back to college and all the people who I was in that class worked for, essentially out of Fresno High School, these were like, you know, 18, 19 years old, 19 oh, yeah. year olds, 20 year olds who didn't know what acting was, felt like what acting was like, oh, this is what I'm gonna be an actor, that sort of thing. And here I They're am. They're all indecisive. Here I am, almost 30, plus like, you know, unsure if I am gonna be an actor. And I could actually tell you a quick story about that because when I, uh, 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 like five years ago, no, no, six years ago or so, uh, I went to, I was actually going to get my um, uh, advisor, right? Because I went, I had to go see an advisor, that sort of thing. And this was like the uh, college advisor. This wasn't my departmental advisor. This was the college advisor. 
college advisor looks at me and goes, do you still want to be an actor? Or, or, you know, do you still want to be in a performing arts? Because that's like another year and a half. And I go, I saw this yes. in one of your interview, in one of your episodes. Yes. <laughs> it is exact, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So you know where I'm going with this. So yeah. I, I, I mean, I, 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 I understand because when I was in the conservatory program, one of my teachers, because I don't really like sharing my back, that I have a background in law. And some oh, of my really? teachers... Now, now you guys know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because... Okay, if I'm ever in trouble, I'm going to have to ask you about, hey... Nope, um... nope, nope. <laughs> I cannot practice here because I'm not a bar, bar passer here. I didn't take the yeah. bar exams. But, anyway. Oh, yeah. Some of my teachers was like, oh, so you had a background in law. So why did you even, why are you acting? Why did you pursue acting? I said, why are you asking me that? I went to sacrifice a lot of things just for me to pursue my passion. And this is what I love to do. And this is what I want to do. And I doubled down since I went to audition. And I moved halfway across the world for me to pursue and study and develop myself. And if you're asking me that, let me ask you. I thought you're a big shot Broadway director. Now, why the fuck are you a teacher? Yeah. And right? It's, uh, yeah. It, it's odd how people would automatically assume, especially with performing arts, it's like, oh, you, you, you got to be an actor, so you got to be on stage, that sort of thing, or you're going to be on film, that sort of thing. And I've dealt with people in the past who are incredibly just like, just like that they wouldn't entertain the fact that I would be an actor, that sort of thing. Or they would say, oh, you have a great voice for radio. That's what Actually, they, you they, do. I don't think. You thank say, you. people say, I'm a great singer. I am a horrible singer. <laughs> also, there's <Yeah>. also <clears throat> moments, by the way, that I went to auditions. You know what? We would like to give you a call back, but your voice doesn't sound, doesn't match your, what you look like. Your voice. Yeah. Uh, I was like, why would you say that? Then why would you even allow me to be, invite me to audition then? Yeah, I, uh, quick story. I remember actually uh, auditioning for a web thing last year around the same time before I got my uh, job. And it was just, this was actually the day before I got my job. Uh, I was going to audition for a web series, and they wanted me to play. I, I originally played the. I think I originally auditioned for the role of the like the gay best friend or something like that. And they says, you know, we we love your energy, right? But we don't feel like you're right for this. Could you please re uh, um, audition for us for the the uh, Sturm Professor? I'm like, okay. And I go over, I read over my lines, and there's a couple of lines, and I give my best Sturm performance, all that stuff, and because. And the guy who looks at me goes, uh, uh, Brian, I love your energy as the whole character, but I really want you to be this professionalist. We want him to have, like, to be, like, the villain, like, later down the line, and you just have a great villain look, that sort of thing. So, yeah, it, it, it's odd how essentially almost, even though theater is inclusive, that sort of thing, there's still this, like, sense of stereotyping people into these certain roles. And, and again, even if you are stereotyping into certain roles, that is a good bread and butter for you, especially if you, you know, if you have a, if you have a type that you want to play, and you feel like you can't play in that type, that's that's your thing. It's like I, I won't give you a fault for that. You know, if you, you know what? Play... Uh, I'm gonna give you another example that happened to me. I auditioned to this big Broadway musical that is yeah. currently running. Uh, 
I auditioned. I went to an EPA. First EPA, I didn't get a callback that I that they had when I went was auditioning. And then second, when they said I had an EPA a few months later, they asked me for a. Uh, I got. I, I went through the EPA, and then days later, I got a message, an email saying, uh, uh, not an email, a call. They gave me a call, and they said, "Hey, we want you to have. Uh, we want to give you a call back if you can come over and prepare something." that could be into the show. Actually, I don't want to say what kind of production and what kind of songs that they would like, that I can, that I would prepare because it would obviously give out the show and I don't want to do that. Yeah, don't. That, 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 that's perfectly yeah. fine. But you could, then, just, you could just oddly just say, just be as vague as possible. Oh, yeah. And then, so I went to the audition. I had my catalog of songs that is very specific and that is very uh, linear and that represents the entire show and that it's the entire conglomerate of that show. So I did that. I did. I prepared as one of the songs that I have in my book as always. And then they asked me to sing if I know the song from the show that I am actually uh, auditioning in for the role that I am auditioning, the solo song of that guy. I said, yeah, I mean, it's my go-to song. This was like, I'm not going to say the song because you'll know automatically what show it is. Uh, okay, so I did sing the song. And you know what they said to me? You know what? You're the perfect type. You're the perfect voice. You're just not the leading material. I was like, why did okay. you even give a call? Yeah, I was like, why did okay. you even give me a call back yet for, for if, you, if I'm not... You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. It's odd how essentially casting some... Uh, and again... I feel like this could be a whole podcast, uh, a podcast episode by itself. But the uh, like auditions are so scary in terms of being an actor because they it's like they're, they're so judgmental, especially if you don't know. And that's why I I, I loved working with Joe and Darius because like I went there. This was like my first kind of like semi-professional. Like this was like my first professional. Uh, audition like one of my first professional auditions like right at, uh, during the time of where I was still in school so I still was kind of like used to like the auditioning in uh, college that sort of thing but he and you know he and her both of them they they just allowed me just to be so relaxed that sort of thing so it's like the, the weird thing is like when you're working with a uh uh, a casting director, and, I'm, and again, casting director feels like a, a, a different conversation all by itself. I'm just yeah. gonna interject you about casting directors because um, I don't know if you saw something going around that there is no. I don't know. I'm gonna ask you this one: Have you ever seen a person of color in the on the other side of the table? In any casting director, uh, in any big casting agency? Aside from college, no. There's none. Yeah. In the big four, ta big big four casting agencies here in theater. I'm just gonna name drop them because everyone has been calling them out. Tara Rubin, Telsey, uh, Carnahan, and Binder. There is no person BIPOC among its roster of casting directors. Yeah, and uh, again, it's odd how essentially people are bringing the whole. Person of color, bi, the bi, bipoc, bipoc. I know. 
it, uh, just saying a word, just trying to say abbreviations kind of hard, especially or just the, BIPOC. I call it by I say it BIPOC as it is. Okay, BIPOC. That that's even more better for me because because. But I don't know if that is the correct pronunciation of that abbreviation. So I'm just but, saying it. Yeah, BIPOC. Stuff like that. That's been since it's happening. You know, it, 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 it's odd how essentially when you think of diversity and theaters, like oh, you could think of like you know, black actors, Hispanic actors, that sort of thing. But when you think of outside of that thing, especially the, you know, the more technical side, you know, do you, like how many women directors do you know? How many uh, uh, black directors do you know? How many uh, women playwrights do you know? That sort of thing. How so, many queer creative teams are there? Yeah. And how many trans are actually being given a trans role or a transvestite yeah. role? Like this is also became why Tootsie and Mrs. Doubtfire became a thing, became are yeah. getting backlash in the trans community as well. It's like, why don't you just hire a trans woman or a trans man in the role? I mean, why, it, it, right? It, it honestly wouldn't feel different because uh, the because with Tootsie, the character is an actor, so it doesn't really matter because you know the. Character I mean, that's is how they were again. That, that's how they. That's and, how it has been and, justified. And and of course, in the movie, it, both Tootsie and Mrs. Stelfire, it's a comedy, so a lot of this type of... Uh, and that's uh, why the term, problematic... Uh, that's how problematic it is, actually, if we actually go down the rabbit hole. Uh, oh, I, I'm, I'm literally... Perception of disbelief. Yeah, perception of disbelief, yeah. Yeah, that... That you know, that's how it works in movies because you, you, your your disbelief is kind of like, okay, I'm just gonna take my mind, toss it up in my uh, body for right now, and just watch the movie for like nine minutes. That's what. I mean, that's it, also another it's... thing about that's how they are being used. Either any black, being any Hispanic or any culture representative, every Asian, every gay, every lesbian, any any other non-traditional looking people they're being treated as tokens. Yeah. Even though every the theater community is ex, or a lot of shows are exclusive at this, as it is, they're sadly to say they're still tokens. Yeah. Which is sad because they are more than tokens. Which is odd because when you think about it, in terms of theater, there there's still those like like we just said, there's token, you know, these token characters. But when you look on TV, there are essentially and, and film this, you know, there, and also sports now, there are essentially people who are LBGQT plus, there we go. LGBTQ plus, yeah. Yeah, plus people, figures, essentially in the entertainment career, but they are, but they are always thriving in film, TV, sports, but when you think of theater, it is so weirdly, like, almost, it, it's almost like a very dirty uh, uh, it's a very dirty uh, world to, to look into, like that sort of thing. And I know. I know and, and again, before, like I said before, my college uh, around my theater people, it's been getting backlash for not hiring essentially BIPOC um, faculty members, that sort of thing. And, and in my life, I don't really recall a... I never had any person of color teacher ever. 
and uh, even any accompanists for none and, and sometimes you know those... what's that they're old people they're way more racist and some of them are even posting they are friends with their students in their social medias and they're even posting some rev, uh, racist shit like come on man yeah it, it, it's odd there was uh, also you know what there i have a teacher i don't know if you know the movie life of pi yeah, yeah, I know. Like, there was a teacher of mine who actually uses that reference reference to me because I'm the only Asian in the class, and if I'm not being mistaken as a Hispanic, I'm being mistaken as a Bangladeshi or an Indian or a Moroccan. Oh wow! Yeah. And the, isn't it the the the, or the guy in the life of Pi is like South Asian, an Indian looking or a Bangladeshi? Yeah. Looking? Yeah, the one uh, with the tiger. I, you know what he says yeah, to me? You know Life of Pi, right? You know what? You know about the movie Life of Pi, right? Yeah. You look like the guy in the show. I was like, okay, great, because I could look someone like him. I could be a lead and oh, do whatever. Hell no, I don't. It's not what he intended to say. Yeah, I'm gonna have you. I'm gonna get that boat and send you back to where you came from. Oh wow. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's like... Uh, Although it's a joke, it became a laughing thing. Yeah. But looking at it, it's like, is it really a joke? Yeah, in hindsight, you would just see jokes that were like funny in, like in the past, but in the hindsight, is like you start thinking more about these different layers because people, when they are joking, you don't know if they're actually joking or joking or if they're just like using like some sort of like subconscious thing of about themselves and then essentially using that as a, a, a springboard into a joke. Uh, I feel like we're, uh, I, I know I have no timeline on the show, and but I feel like we talked long enough about a lot of stuff, so. I love uh, it, I love it. I just uh, have a lo I just love a no-filter thing, just because. Yeah. That, and, and that's the thing about my show, is that it's raw and unedited, but people will talk about whatever. And as long as you're honest and stuff like that, I will just talk about endless stuff about you, this stuff. But and uh, I love how you're actually giving a platform and an avenue to a lot of different people because yeah. actually I've done this is the third podcast I've done since COVID and this is the only apart from the past two podcasts that I've done. I think this could this is one of the most that I have uh, I have been most very open that I didn't really hold back talking about a lot of stuff. Because, of, of course, different formats, different shows, they all differ from one another. But I'm just going to, I just love how I am able to be, to come in the show, just wearing a damn robe. Hey, I, honestly, you could come in wearing uh, a suit tie, that would that, be, be sort of thing. You could come in wearing a, a shirt that says, you know, I tried, something like that, and it, it's like I can wear one of my my Leo and sister that has stitch on the thing. This I tried, you know. It's like that sort of thing. Or you can wear like a polo shirt. I don't care. It's like as long as you wear something that's formal, casual, that sort of thing. And you we have like a very fun talk about stuff like that. But and yeah, also uh, with the fact that you are also putting different perspectives on it. Like you also talk about being in the perspective of the academic world. And also yeah. perspective of a very normal Yubi who's trying to get by. And yeah. also as an artist yourself, which is, I think it should, it translates very well. That's why I, I'm yeah. very much comfortable just talking and talking and talking and, and very endlessly. 
Yeah, uh, but I, I, to wrap it up, I do have a couple of questions left. So these sure. are very straight, straightforward questions. Uh, uh, Post-COVID or even in this COVID thing, because I know you talk about rehearsals, uh, do you have any stuff coming up? That oh, yes. You, because this, I do. Now, now this stuff, I will say this, this will probably be uh, posted in the future, maybe in a couple of months. So whatever you're having now is like kind of like, say in the past tense, but depending on how you see it, uh, okay. do you have anything in, that's coming up in your like productions? Okay, I'm just gonna say this as, as it is, just because uh, I, although in the past since COVID, I have done a, couple, a few online reading shows, Shakespeare, and uh, I am also, you can always catch me every Wednesdays as of now, as of this saying, as of this recording, on, I'm actually also a host, presenter, and a talent for a startup production company called Top Rated, where they are also the first, uh, among of the first uh, platform, uh, per, uh, productions companies who are actually doing live streams in a new Amazon platform called Amazon Live. So you can always catch us in, catch me every Wednesdays. I'm also the creative director. Uh, you can also catch me every Wednesdays on, I stream on Wednesdays and there's a roster of talents as well that we have at amazon.com slash slash live you can always subscribe and you can always follow and on last week of august and first week of september i'll be playing uh, moat for hudson warehouse's production of william shakespeare's love's labor's lost it's going to be at the riverside park it's also sponsored by the riverside conservancy so if you miss it, uh, I don't quote me on this, but I'm, this is what it's, it looks like it's going to happen. It's going to look like it's going to be the first physical theater since COVID started. And uh, I hope, because I know the public theater is also doing one on their own. Yeah. But if everything went well, I hope it. what I am currently involved in and what the public theater is currently doing is going to set precedence at how theater is going to happen in the next uh, few months, especially Broadway is close until January. Yeah. I hope that, and apart from that, uh, who else? I'm still submitting myself, auditioning, self-taping, but that's what we have so far for me. Just the one that is consistent is uh, the Amazon Live, and also you may or may not uh, if you follow me on my social medias, I make all my announcements. Also on my website, www.francisabarn.com. I am actually in the works of a few stuff that I'm currently writing. Uh, I may have online live workshops that uh, that might happen. So you might just check it out. Check who knows what's going to happen. But there are stuff that definitely are in the works for in the future. Of course, who else would, uh, with regards to the physicality of everything, no one can actually know, but that's what I can just say as of now. All right. Uh, you mentioned social media. Uh, you mentioned your website. Uh, what social media can people find you on mostly? You got Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, oh my God. Uh, uh, MySpace, okay. Friendster. Oh my God, MySpace and Friendster are dead. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you can always uh, go to my uh, Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash official Francis Maborum. Uh, 
My website is, uh, my Instagram is at Francis Maborong. Twitter, it's F-R-N-C-S-M-B-B-R-N-G. Basically, my full name without the vowels. And yeah, you can also, uh, also go, I'm all, since I plug the other live stream shows, that, oh, the weekly live stream shows that I always do, catch me every Wednesdays at Amazon Live. So at, go just go to your browser, amazon.com slash live, or go to your Amazon app and then find the Amazon Live button where you can also see a lot of live stream shows. Guess what, guys? Jessica Alba is also doing her own live stream. She has her own sub channel. And there's a lot more cha- a lot more people and influencers in there. And yeah, also social media. You can find me at uh, Top Rated Club across social medias as well. So yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, and my last last question, even though we kind of like derailed into everything, uh, but we had a great discussion throughout the thing. It was like great discussion anyway. Especially about performing arts in general, but uh, do you have any inspiration? Uh, do you have any advice to people who are listening slash watching this uh, podcast interview, what have you, on YouTube? Uh, to my fellow internationals, first, I'm just gonna say this: continue doing your art. Don't stop. You've already spent more than enough. You are being quoted more than the usual cost of education here in America. Don't stop. Whether it's the mandate, whether you're, OPT, you're waiting for your OPT, whether you're, you're not, you're waiting for your O1, your artist visa. If there's nothing happening, make one. And that also goes to every, every non-internationals. And, and dovetailing that to, your, to the local America, to the Americans, check in with your internationals because your privilege as an American, not only being international. I'm just going to leave this question. Why do you think Americans would love to talking, love talking about immigrational issues with little to no knowledge, and yet they are very passionate about it? The answer is Americans don't need visas when traveling internationally for pleasure or vacation to most countries because i know there are countries would require americans for visas that yeah. alone have having a u.s passport and your citizenship and your nationality alone is a privilege so i know this country thrives for immigrants like what lin-manuel miranda said about hamilton immigrants get we get the job done check on them support them because there are not only fighting for their lives, but they're doing more than, they're doubling up on what they need to do compared to what they used to. So we're all in this together. Things are changing. Have each other's backs. We're a very, the creative community is so small. So one knows one or a lot more people in their, within their own different circles. Just be kind, please. And wear your damn masks. And on that note, everyone who has been watching, listening for probably the last like 90 minutes, I had an no hour idea. and a half. Probably the hour and a half. This has probably been the longest episode. Thank you, Francis, for taking the time. He is, he is a wonderful person to talk to, just, you know, and just to work with too. 
not thank only is you. he thank you Brian. Not only is he hilarious, but he's also important as anything. So, uh, uh, yeah, this has been episode three of season two of Performing Arts. My name has been Brian M. Davis. I hope you have a lovely evening, day, what have you, when I'm even watching. And take care. Be safe.